to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, the first episode of 2020. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really looking forward to this new year. I've got a lot of awesome things in the works. Um, Guys, I have some amazing content that I'm going to be releasing exclusively to my email list. So if you're not on my email list, head over to agfdogtraining.com. In exchange for your email address, you will get a free ebook all about enrichment. And I am going to be sending out weekly training tips tons of training videos. I've got some special stuff in the works for reactive dog owners. So guys, I'm really looking forward to connecting with more of you in 2020. And I'm really looking forward to giving you access to more dog training information. I recognize that um, not everyone can afford my in-person rates. So that's why I do this podcast for free. And that's why I generate so much free content because um, I want you to find it because the possibilities are pretty much limitless when you really get a grasp on positive reinforcement training and what that can mean for you and your dog. So yeah, guys, join me over on the email list. I promise it won't be super spammy. I promise it will be just really good information that you can look through instead of just junk in your inbox. So I hope that you guys had a good holiday year. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm really just kind of like, okay, let's do this. Let's move on. I'm ready for the new year. I'm kind of sick of eating so much food. I've seen my family a ton, so I'm good on that for a while. So yeah, I'm just ready to hit the ground running. And guys, if you don't already know, January is National Train Your Dog Month. So I'm going to have some really great stuff coming out on my Instagram page and the Facebook page so that you can start the new year off right and do lots of training with your dog and reap the wonderful positive benefits from doing that. So guys, if you can't already tell from my voice, I was battling a head cold. And while I feel a lot better now, my voice is still a little scratchy. So I am sorry for that. I'm doing my best to make it the easiest to listen to as possible. So guys, in today's episode, I am so freaking excited. So um, you know that I'm a big believer in looking at the whole dog. And, you know, we've talked about um, the dog's physical body. And, you know, we had Dr. Caitlin Leonard on who does chiropractic and acupuncture for dogs. And, you know, something that is huge for your dog is their nutritional needs. And if you've been following me over on the social media, you know that I'm a huge advocate for feeding a fresh raw food diet. Um, I've been feeding raw with my dogs for years and years. And while I feel like I know a lot about raw food, I certainly don't know everything. I certainly am not uh, an expert in the field. So that's why I was so excited that um, Savannah was able to join me in this episode. And we talk all about meeting your dog's nutritional needs and how that relates to your dog's behavior, Um, because you best believe that it's all connected. So if you're having challenging behaviors with your dog, I think that looking at their diet is a huge part of the equation and making sure that they're getting all of the nutrients that they need on a daily basis. I know that there's still some kind of old school thoughts about what dogs should be eating. And honestly, like I very recently was kind of still under those impressions, but Savannah kind of sets the record straight. So let me tell you about her. So Savannah Wellna is a certified advanced canine nutrition 
uh, nutritionist, and she is the owner of Feed Thy Dog and Raw Fed and Nerdy. And guys, if you feed your dog raw, if you want to feed your dog raw, um, I highly recommend you join her Facebook group. It's just called Raw Fed and Nerdy, and I have been just so impressed with all the information. Um, You can also head over to her website. There's a ton of information for free on there. So yeah, guys, this is a super great episode, and it just it's been so much fun to talk to so many knowledgeable people and to really just learn from them and kind of share that uh, and pass it along to you guys. So guys, enjoy this episode. If you like this episode, please take a screenshot, tag me and Savannah over on the social media and let us know what you liked about it. And if you have more questions, you can also join us in the Disorderly Dogs, the Conversation Continues Facebook group where we can kind of dive more into how your dog's nutritional needs are related to their behavior. Enjoy. Uh, so I'm Savannah from uh, Most Know Me from Feed Thy Dog and also Raw Fed and Nerdy. Um, I studied at the Companion Animal Sciences Institute and got my certificate in advanced canine nutrition. I studied also um, at the Possible Canine doing diet formulation and the basics of canine nutrition course. And um, now I'm you know, basically continuing on. So now I'm at Helena, uh, Helena College and I'm studying, uh, well, next semester I'll be starting um, biochemistry. So What I do basically is I take um, more complex subjects and I turn them into, you know, things that are, uh, turn it into practical application for the average dog owner. So in Raw Fed and Nerdy, my Facebook group, um, I basically help teach people how to formulate a fresh food diet for their dog, but make sure that it is meeting uh, nutrient requirements. So I tried to make a bunch of resources on my website and you know, build tools, uh, to help, you know, pet owners not only, you know, feed fresh foods, but feed fresh foods, you know, correctly and support their dog. Yes. Okay. And that's why I'm so, so grateful that you took the time to talk with me today, because I think that this is something that's, you know, nutrition is huge for me, right? Like, and, and I notice it in my work. I notice in my own dogs, I notice in my own life. And I think that our dogs have really been subject to eating processed food for, for, too long. And, you know, I know that people mean well and free feeding fresh food, but, you know, I think that there's a lot of room for error. And it's so important that we all recognize that like our dog's nutritional needs are much more complex than they're just carnivores, right? Like there's just, there's so much more to it. So absolutely. Um, yeah. Right. Well, and, you know, obviously we're going to focus primarily on nutrition today, but what I think is important for, you know, everyone listening to take into account is that, um, you know, it's all interconnected right? It's all part of one working system. And if you're having behavioral challenges, your dog's nutritional needs should definitely be looked at as part of like the overall um, plan of, you know, resolving some of the behavior problems. I was going to say, you know, it's a good point, especially with behavior, behavior, because, you know, you are what you eat, but more importantly, you are what you absorb. And so uh, I think it's definitely a multifaceted approach where, you know, if you have a dog, even that's eating a good diet, if you're not working with a trainer and there's some sort of issue with anxiety, then they're not able to assimilate those nutrients. Um, at the same time, uh, you have to provide optimal nutrition to support the dog to be able to make, you know, good decisions. Yes. Right. Right. So it goes both ways, right? Like you, you need both of those to get the perfect equation. Yeah. Okay. So, so can we talk a little bit about our dogs, right? So are our dogs carnivores? So actually there's, there's an order of carnivora. Um, okay. And there, this is like a really big controversy, like, especially in the raw feeding world. Um, there's, 
like a lot of people will say opportunistic uh, carnivores or facilitative. Um, well, the word escapes me now. But um, there's the order of, of carnivora, but that actually encompasses a lot of animals that actually, you know, will eat plant matter. Um, I'll be 100% transparent uh, as, you know, especially as we talk through the digest uh, the digestive system. Um, it obviously indicates that a dog is going to do better on an animal-based diet, but there's going to be components uh components in the di digestive system that indicate that the dog benefits from certain plant foods, particularly fiber, uh, when we talk about gut health. But, you know, I'll compare some of this, you know, as far as like um, salivary amylase in, in humans versus dogs and why, you know, it makes sense that, you know, a carb heavy diet for every dog is likely not the optimal diet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's super good to know. And like, that's something that, you know, I, I heard someone refer to dogs as omnivores recently. And I'm like, okay, so I think we just need to get over the labels and we need to really specifically look at the individual dog. So, you know, I think we're, we're going to have to talk in some general terms here, but that's what you do, right? Is that you, you specifically customize nutrient complete meals for individual dogs, right? Yeah. So definitely looking at the essential nutrients, but non-essential nutrients and their sources too. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and then it's custom to each dog, right? Like every single dog probably isn't going to do this well on the exact same like formulation. Yep. Absolutely. So that, you know, I, I'm from feed thy dog and that name comes from the fact that each dog is highly, highly individual, just like humans are. Yeah. And I think that that's super important for us all to be recognizing myself included is that like, you know, especially as I have this huge age difference in my dogs, right? Like a 12 and a half year old dog and an almost three year old dog, you know, like I need to be aware that like their nutritional needs are going to be different. Right. So, you know, just that's why it's even more important that we're not just feeding just like this, like, oh yeah, you can just feed your dog raw willy nilly. Like, you can, but you're not going to be meeting their nutritional needs the same way you could if you were really looking into it. Yeah, especially as, you know, as they age, their their nutrient needs change too. You know, what what their needs are right now, you know, might not be the same that they'll be in, say, three years. Even going from an adult, you know, to a senior dog, they can change. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's the same for us, right? Like our and changing so it's, it's there's just so much more to it than just this like blanket you can just feed your dog you know quote unquote any raw food yeah or <laughs> like, just fill that so blanket with anything it. you can just feed your dog you know whatever diet right when somebody makes a post on facebook what food should i feed my dog oh it's, oh it's extremely frustrating because it's like everybody just lists the food that works for your dog because <laughs> that's what people do um and it, it makes it makes no sense like to right. be able and to answer that question. question right like we need to know the dog and the dog's individual needs and then maybe we could adjust a more appropriate answer Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy that people answer that without like asking a question. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Oh, the internet, you guys. But you know, that's <laughs> why I, I love this podcast and I love using it as a platform to help educate people, you know, and honestly myself, I've learned so much from all of my guests. So I'm, you know, I'm so stoked that you're here because I, I know I, I still have so much to learn about all of this raw feeding. So, okay. So let's talk about our dog's digestive 
system. So can you know, just give us kind of like a general overview about the dog's digestive system and why they're equipped and how they can actually handle and process raw food versus like how we would get sick if we did that? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So digestion, it begins in the mouth and basically the mouth exists in dogs to taste things, but mainly to pick them up and, and swallow them. They don't do a lot of mechanical digestion. You know, sometimes if they're eating, you know, like whole prey, they'll use some of their teeth to pull, you know, pull flesh off, but they don't generally sit there and chew too much relative to a human. So the food moves through the mouth and it goes through the stomach. Uh, oh, and one thing on the, on the, um, digestion in the mouth, which I feel like I should, I should, uh, clarify a bit more. Uh, it is primarily mechanical digestion though. There was a study done, um, on beagles about the, the, presence of salivary amylase, which is, um, present in humans, uh, especially higher than what was uh, discovered in this study for beagles. Um, but I want to address that really quick. Cause I know a lot of people are going to be thinking about it. Uh, that study was done on just male beagles. And I don't think that it's necessarily appropriate to extrapolate that to all dogs and say that they have a robust, uh, response to carbohydrate digestion, okay. but it does indicate that there is an ability or definitely a change from their ancestral counterparts, as we'll see as we go through the digestive process, about the um, digestion of carbs. So obviously, like a beagle would be very different than a German shepherd, right? So I'd be really interested in, in seeing more studies done on different types of dogs. But that was a little side point there. No, but, but I think that's important to bring up, right? Because like, just because there was one study doesn't mean that that's led us to a definitive answer by any means. Yeah. And, and it, it was definitely an interesting study because, you know, it was previously thought that there wasn't any salivary amylase, right? But there is. Um, so it's definitely worth uh, investigating more, but it's also, you know, important to look at that relative to humans since we like to, you know, some people like to say, well, um, I'm going to, feed my dog what, what I eat, which is most often not inappropriate. Uh, most often is, is definitely inappropriate, but yeah. <laughs> the food goes to the stomach. And this is where we get into why it's, you know, safe for most dogs to consume a raw diet. So when fed, um, the dog's stomach is extremely acidic, even compared to humans, you know, it's still acidic in humans, but it's this environment that allows dogs to eat raw meats um, and not get sick like humans would. And I want to specify, I'm talking about things like um, salmonella. I'm not talking about things like parasites that a dog can definitely get from say uh, wild game meat. So there's still some caveats there, some nuance. And of course, any um, disturbances to the, to the uh, digestion process can, you know, put a dog more at risk. So I'm not saying that, you know, a dog has never gotten foodborne illnesses. There's definitely cases of it, but it's certainly um, very uncommon, especially relative to humans. So yes, they can eat raw foods and they are equipped to handle that bacteria load. And actually, when you look at the um, microbiome results of a raw fed dog, uh, versus a dog that's eating any form of cooked foods, there's actually a change in the different levels of bacteria, which, you know, I would hypothesize is protective, but wow. that, you know, yeah. it's the, it's the stomach that is important, you know, in the first part. And that's where also protein starts to get digested. But most things, as far as chemical digestion goes, um, occurs in the small intestine, which is where the food moves through the small intestine. And then we have the help of the pancreas and the gallbladder, um, and the point of the small intestine is it has a lot of surface areas, uh, surface area to um, absorb food. And the point of digestion is to break food down into 
very small components so that it can be absorbed through different mechanisms. Now, I do want to point out here again that dogs do secrete um, pancreatic amylase, which makes them um, able to digest carbohydrates. There are studies where we understand that there's certain cooked carbohydrates that is extremely digestible. Um, but again, it doesn't mean, you know, also, you know, fat is very digestible to them as well. So it doesn't mean that we take a whole diet and make it all fat or we take a whole diet and we make it all carbohydrate. It's just something to keep in mind when you're working with each individual dog, especially when it comes to certain, um, health conditions, right? Where a dog might not be able to handle a lot of fat. So the calories have to come from somewhere and it can't all be protein. So a little, yeah, well, and, and I think, I think it's important too, that like, you know, for some of my listeners here, I want you guys to recognize that like some of this information has been used to justify putting almost exclusively carbs in like processed kibbles. Right. And like saying that, like, that's the best thing for dogs. And, and I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're trying to say is that like the information isn't conclusive to that degree, right. That like, that doesn't mean that we should only be feeding our dogs carbs. And that doesn't mean that all dogs should just be eating carbs. Well, I think it, I think it misses the bigger picture, which I think we're going to talk about this later when we talk about, you know, the, what happens when a dog eats a processed diet versus a fresh food diet. But it's like the, um, ability to digest carbohydrates doesn't excuse any of the issues that arise from eating, um, a processed diet, which I'll talk about, you know, some of the forms of nutrients that come in that, it, come from that diet and the low antioxidant levels, uh, poor forms of essential fatty acids. We'll get into all of that later. Um, but you know, for example, my dog, I have a, um, 10 year old boxer and he does, he does well with about 10 to 15% of his calories coming from carbohydrates. That's a very low carbohydrate diet compared to kibble where it's often, you know, above 50%. Um, so just because a dog can do something doesn't mean that it's going to be optimal or it can be extrapolated to say that all dogs should be eating high carb diets. Yeah. Good. Okay, cool. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. I, I just, I think there's kind of extreme, um, you know, maybe an extreme where somebody sees me add, you know, plant matter into a dog's diet and they're like, dogs can't digest that. Well, no, they can. And there's also, you know, benefits to phytonutrients that are in plants as well. Um, versus, you know, others who are like, you know, raw diets are terrible. Dogs do well on, um, high carbohydrate, high carbohydrate, high carbohydrate diets across the board. So just because a dog can, doesn't make it optimal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like, you know, all my wonderful listeners hear me preach this all the time in dog training. You know what I mean? Like just because we can use shot collars on dogs doesn't mean that we should, right? Like, you know, and I think that that's super comparable here, you know, like it just because dogs can eat carbs doesn't mean that we, that that's all that they should be eating. Yeah. And I, and yeah, I think, well, I'll save that for the last part, but just where we talk about it, it doesn't excuse all of the other issues that come from a processed diet anyway. So it's the like, say they can, products, the yeah, say, they can products. Say, say they can digest carbohydrates, but like that doesn't excuse the lack of, you know, high quality essential fatty acids, you know? So, but anyway, so I also want to mention, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the, the purpose of digestion is to break things down into very small, um, parts and anything that disturbs the dog's ability to do this, even if that's stress, um, can make any 
existing issue with the gut barrier worse. So say you do have a dog that has a compromised gut, a highly porous gut, and they have issues digesting food. That means the food particles are going to be bigger. Um, and let's say, you know, we have a dog that has an adverse food reaction to say, um, uh, beef, right. And they were eating, um, so maybe the owner doesn't know that. And they were feeding a kibble diet that had beef in it. And then they switched to a raw diet or even a homemade fresh cooked diet that uses beef. Well, um, suddenly that reaction gets worse because the dog's digestion hasn't been addressed. And we have these larger food particles that are presenting themselves at the gut barrier. Um, we call them food antigens and these larger particles, um, can elicit a very strong immune reaction. Um, so that's, that's more of a topic of adverse food reaction, but all these different components are just really important to, um, you know, so much of the dog's health. So beyond the, beyond the small intestine, you know, all things go to the liver, things that are not, um, things that are not digested, such as fiber, uh, proceed to the, uh, large intestine. And that's where electrolytes and water are reabsorbed. And that's also where, um, depending on the type of fiber, fiber ferments, and it produces something called short chain fatty acids. These, uh, provide a food source for the gut microbiome. So it feeds the, the gut bacteria, uh, which it seems to be a less controversial carbohydrate source. Um, and, and dogs are capable of, uh, microbial digestion in the large intestine. Um, but obviously it's going to be like a lot different than say, than that of like a, a horse. Right. But we know that especially with dogs with IBD, um, pro or fiber becomes really, really important. And, you know, a fresh food diet, you have, you have the option to provide a lot of high quality fiber sources with those fragile, um, phytonutrients as well. So that's basically the overview of, of canine digestion, just bullet point list. Yeah. Well, and, and I think you brought up such a, a great point about like, you know, a dog eating a kibble source with like a certain protein source that, you know, maybe they're not doing great, but then they switch to a, a fresh or a raw food diet and you start to see more problems. That just means you need to address something, not that you need to go back to kibble. And like, I, I don't want to diminish what it feels like to own a dog with irritable bowel disease because I know it plagues so many dogs and it's, it's challenging for the owners, but like, you know, that just means you need to to dig deeper and get help from someone who can help you so that you can meet their nutritional needs in a better way so that their gut health can be optimal. Yeah. And, and definitely it can become a vicious, vicious cycle because you have a dog that's unable to assimilate nutrients, but those nutrients are essential for gut health. And it's just this vicious, vicious cycle. And it's also worth mentioning too, that whole thing where they switch from kibble to raw or even cooked. Um, and if it was like a beef adverse food reaction, well, kibble tends to be quite low in, in, in protein relative to a raw diet. So you would also just see more of, of that, um, more of those food antigens present as well. And that is right. where elimination diets do come in handy because you can feed a non-offensive food, work on the gut, and then later, you know, work in um, some of the other foods that had to be avoided in the past. Right. And like, there's hope, guys. There's hope for you. You don't have to have to go back to kibble, but you need to seek out help to make switching to the real fresh food diet easier for the dog and, you know, getting to a solution instead of just constantly ba bouncing back and forth. 
Yeah, and and even just transition from kibble to raw, even with like the, you know, when a dog is not used to digesting that much fat, even that in and of itself without doing a proper transition or just not even being aware of the level of fat that's in raw food because a lot of, you know, DIY or commercial food will use really high fat because it's cheaper, but the dog just can't digest that or if they already have, um, you know, uh, any disease that's affecting uh, affecting their bowels, then it can just make it even worse. So there's definitely definitely nuance to that when you have a dog that's you know battling any health conditions. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, I wanted to just touch on this just a little bit more because you know I, I get this question a lot on like you know my Instagram page when I'm feeding raw, and people are always so concerned about like my safety when I'm dealing with with raw raw food. So Obviously, you have to take precautions, right? You you need to sanitize surfaces. You need, you know, you can wear gloves. You can take precautions. But, you know, I've been feeding raw for eight years and I've never gotten sick, you know? So, like, I think that's just something I wanted to just touch on a little bit, you know, because I know that's a huge concern for people. Yeah. And I I mean, it's a valid concern, right? Because yes. salmonella is no joke. But and you, you have to be, you know, at least in the free course that I have, there is a, a little section on proper cleaning and sanitation, um, especially where we're at with uh, factory farming and antibiotic resistant bacteria. We do have to be really careful for, um, you know, maybe the dog is safe, but we do have to be careful for the human. So, um, yeah, there's, you are bringing in more raw food and maybe there is, you know, going to be more contamination, but just, just be careful. Like you wouldn't just like when you're cooking for yourself, like you're not going to like use a, a knife to cut up raw chicken and then like use that same knife to like eat your cooked chicken, right? Just yeah. be careful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So, um, I think let's talk about processed food. So can, can you give us some insight into like what we know about processed food and like how that's impacting our dogs specifically in their guts? So actually I love this section. Um, the, so a lot of people, we talk about like the, the benefits of like, say a raw diet or a cooked diet. And we talk about very generic things like, Oh, better skin health or, um, you know, less odor, things like that. Um, I like to talk about like the nitty gritty things that are there in fresh food, but night might not be there in processed food. So when it comes to processed food, like kibble, um, you know, kibble, at least in the United States, we're looking at AFCO requirements, which are just focused on essential nutrients. Um, I do have an article. It was probably like maybe a year ago now, but it was called food versus supplements. So I do use supplements when necessary, when we can't meet the nutrient requirements from just food, right? Because the essential nutrients are still important, but the requirements for kibble is focusing on only the essential nutrients and not necessarily the best form. So I have like a couple examples I wanted to talk about. So the first one, I mentioned it earlier, when we have processed food like kibble, it's, you know, first exposed to very high heat and then it's, you know, sitting in a bag in the warehouse and then it's transported to the store and then it sits at the home and it's exposed, you know, then the bag is opened up and it's not, you know, totally, um, it's not perfectly sealed to avoid oxygen, but then the, the bag is opened up and then it's shut and then it's opened. Um, and it makes it a very poor source of preformed essential or makes it a poor source of essential fatty acids in general. So, the essential fatty acids, we know them as omega-3 and omega-6. Um, AFCO requirements only require omega-6 from the form of um, LA, so just 
a quick primer on the essential fatty acids. You can get the essential fatty acids from plant-based foods like plant oils, but dogs uh, do better when they have the preformed sources. So LA is an omega-6 fatty acid, um, but the form that's required in the body for biological function is um, AA, arachidonic acid. So the dog has to work and use resources, which include essential nutrients like some of the B vitamins and vitamin E, to turn that essential fatty acid into an omega-6 fatty, uh, the you know arachidonic acid uh, to use in the body. So what's unique about these essential fatty acids is they're very prone to oxidation in and outside of the body. So the reason why there there really isn't a requirement for preformed essential fatty acid is first is because the preformed that we can supply to our dogs from say organ meats and eggs and fish um, is because they're very they're very fragile so they don't do well when they sit in a bag and they they oxidize. Right. Um, but they're also providing just, you know, the the form from like the the form that the dog has to work to make into a, a usable form. So maybe they provided the very, very, very basic basics of essential nutrients, but they didn't provide the optimal form. And I like, I like omega-6 as an example, just because it's very, it's required, um, arachidonic acid is required for tightly knit cells in the gut and the skin. So low levels of omega-6, um, can cause disturbances to the gut barrier and it can cause disturbances to skin and coat health. So that's just like one example of um, an essential nutrient, not in a great form that a dog has to expend resources to use, uh, in a, in a more bioavailable form. And there's a lot of other examples, like there's vitamin K in dog food. They only use the synthetic form. Um, but there's also forms that are found in fresh animal foods that, you know, are vitamin K2 that have a bunch of other functions besides just blood clotting, which is what, you know, vitamin K1, uh, what is primarily focused on in, um, the pet food industry, but there's also, you know, different forms that are found in different fresh foods that are important for joint health and brain health and preventing soft tissue calcification. There's also non-essential amino acids that are bioavailable in, um, homemade fresh food, which is going to be important for joints. Actually, I think this one's really interesting too. So for example, glycine, which is going to be rich, say in connective tissue, uh, think of also raw meaty bones. So that's not considered essential because dogs can synthesize it, but we also, don't have, yeah, there's also a hypothesis and I've, I've been reading quite a bit about this, that as the animals get bigger, you know, think of a small breed versus like a, a great Dane, their ability to synthesize it may not have increased at the rate that, um, the, uh, you know, have turned into a bigger animal. So this right. is interesting because it's important for joint health and you look at large breeds eating commercial diets. And I know there's a lot of things that go into joint health, but you know, is it possible that they're not getting, um, you know, they're not getting some of these quote unquote non-essential nutrients from a processed diet. So I, I mean, there's a ton I could go into in this section, but like they just focus on just the essential nutrients. And this isn't even talking about like the harmful byproducts or, um, heat processing combined with like the, with high starch and, you know, decreasing the ability to metabolize the amino acids. Um, yeah, I, there's just a lot here. Yes. Right. Well, and, and I love what you brought up about growing dogs because, you know, it's something that never ceases to amaze me is how giant dogs get so quickly, you know, and like just, you know, the basic bare bones requirements for food, like how are we possibly getting those growing dogs 
everything they need nutritionally in that insane growth spurt. You know, like it's just, it's crazy to me, right? That like for decades and decades and decades, like our veterinarians keep telling us that kibble is the way to go. Like, it just makes absolutely no sense to me. Like one blanket statement for like a, a great Dane growing that big. I can, I can just only imagine how nutrient deficient they are in so many ways. Yeah. And I, I would say, I guess, I guess I'm lucky just in the the group that I'm in, but I have a, I have a lot of veterinarians in my raw feeding group. Um, one of my uh, admins is a veterinarian as well. So that is I think, amazing. Yeah. I think, I think it's definitely picking up. And I think the issue is also is, you know, twofold. So there is like this, this section in their growth where they, they need the correct amount of nutrients, not too much, not too little. Um, and unfortunately I've seen the issue where, you know, there's issues with the processed diet, but then also being what I call mindfully healthy, where we provide high quality fresh food, but it's definitely possible to cause growth issues with fresh foods too. So there's definitely, um, a balance, but I, to me, what's optimal is a properly formulated fresh food diet where we're providing the essential nutrients in their highest quality forms, uh, forms, but also it's going to provide some of these non-essential nutrients so that the dog is not having to use resources to synthesize, uh, or, or convert nutrients. Right. Okay. And then, because I think, you know, if the body is having to overcompensate, where is the fallout from that? Right. Like what else, what other energy is getting expelled that they can't afford? Yeah. And especially when it comes to, um, when it comes to gut health. So glycine is also going to be important for, um, gut health. But again, when I was talking about the essential fatty acids, I mean, it's really important that those are in the diet to help tightly knit the gut and the skin. And it's just, I mean, it's not super shocking to see that there's, um, a lot of disturbances with gut and skin health in dogs. And I'm not saying that those are the only factors, right? There's a lot of things of that, course, that go yeah. into it, right? Like zinc deficiency or vitamin A deficiency. Um, but I feel like some of, I, I hope that research picks up one day to look more at that in dogs because skin conditions are, um, I mean, they're just, they're extremely common. It's, it's actually very disturbing how much, you know, it's an issue. Well, and it's, and it's so sad because, like, you know, from, from my end of things, like the behavior and the training, it's like seeing a dog who is clearly uncomfortable right? Like clearly their nutritional needs are not being met. And then here we are demanding them learn something new, you know, like that's, it's, it's so, it's so hard to see that, you know? And like, it's, it's, I wish I could say it's few and far between, but it isn't right. Like, and I'm sure you guys are listening, right? Like I'm sure one of your dogs probably has a skin thing and you know, when we know better, we do better. So I'm not trying to like throw shade at anyone, you know, but it's important that we're digging deeper and getting more information and letting that inform what we feed our dogs instead of just, you know, trusting the label on this bag of processed food. Yeah. And it's definitely, um, it's definitely the dog food world is definitely complicated. And I think even at least in the United States, there's a lot of people that, I mean, they don't even really know what their essential nutrient needs are, let alone like their dogs. And so I see so much how overwhelming it can be. Um, I would say definitely start out, you know, learning things bit by bit and building a strong foundation in nutrition science so that you become confident in what you're doing and set yourself and your dog up for success. And seek help from professionals. 
right? Like, yeah, that is why yeah. I wanted to have you on, you know, because like, I want people to know that like, you are a resource. You literally do this, right? Like that's what you are here for is to help people make sure that they're meeting their dog's nutritional needs. Right. Absolutely. And right. So, and, and I think it's just more accessible than people think. So I, I want to just empower people. Like you don't have to feel overwhelmed and small changes towards like a, a balanced diet, I think can be huge and more attainable than you think. Yeah. Even just gentle improvements to a processed diet. Um, I have a guide adding, um, fresh food to a, um, commercial diet. And I show how we can replace just 10 to 15% of the calories. Uh, let's say we had a dog that was just eating kibble. We replaced 10 to 15% of the calories, not the overall food, just the calories with mindful fresh food additions. And we provide some of these, it was like, um, over 50% of the dog's daily requirements for say some of the amino acids and some of the B vitamins. So, um, with really targeted fresh foods, even if you are feeding a processed diet, like it's, you can make, um, a significant impact on, uh, you know, just adding fresh food. Yes. Right. I love that. That's so amazing. What an insanely good resource for people. Oh my God. Okay. So, um, so can we just touch a little bit more on some of like, if there's like one study that comes to mind, like some of the negative effects of processed food on gut health in our dogs? So when it comes to specifically the gut microbiome, we don't have a lot of specific studies for dogs. We do have, um, you know, we tend, dogs tend to like trail behind the studies that are occurring in humans, but we do have one that was more of a, a correlation study where it, let me pull it up here. Yeah. So it was more like a correlation study. So you couldn't just, you couldn't say X caused Y for sure, but basically they took, um, stool samples from dogs that were rescued from, um, a home that had dog fighting and they compared, uh, you know, they tested, they did stool samples and they compared it to that of, uh, stool samples from healthy balanced dogs. And they definitely found, um, significant differences in different, um, in different bacteria levels. And that's not surprising given, you know, the research that's going on in humans. Uh, we know that the gut communicates with the brain and we know that there's human studies where they actually just add in certain probiotics and emotional decision-making is dramatically improved. And so just given our understanding of the mechanism, it's not far-fetched to, you know, say, well, we should probably support the dog's, uh, gut microbiome, uh, now instead of waiting for a study that says, oh yes, turns out, um, (laughs) turns out we should have been supporting it. You know, it's, it's definitely a, a won't hurt, will, will might help depending on where your dog is at type approach. Yeah. And I think it's so important because I know that a lot of my listeners are struggling with dogs with, you know, behavior problems just kind of across the board. And, you know, guys, it's, it's all related. Gut health is behavioral health. Behavioral health is gut health, you know, and if you're struggling and your dog is struggling, you need to look at what they're eating. That's it's, it's, it's an essential part of the equation that I think is just far too often overlooked. Yeah. The gut is, is responsible too, for making, um, chemicals that are important for brain function. And even, you know, even if we just look at the most basic, basic example of just, um, adequate protein intake and having high quality amino acid intake, all that stuff is important for say neurotransmitters, right? So we, if you're wanting the dog or you're, we're working with the dog to, um, 
you know, maybe work on a behavior, you have to provide the physical uh, resources for the dog to be able to do it. Yes, exactly. If you if you want your dog's brain to be powered and firing, you have to give it the fuel to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So Savannah, can you give us some just, okay. So can we just talk about a few ways that people can feed fresh food? So like raw home cook, just adding to kibble, like what, what are dog owners options? So obviously the first thing you have to look at is what can you do? So like, what can you afford and pick the best that you can afford? So don't, um, don't pick a, let's say you uh, have to feed kibble. Don't pick a poor quality kibble and try to spend money by dressing it up with fresh food. So whatever the foundation of the diet is, make sure it's the highest quality um, that you can afford. And, you know, obviously I prefer a fresh food diet that's formulated using nutrient guidelines. I mean, I think that's the most specific that you can get. But like I said, when it comes to, let's just say, uh, use dressing up kibble as an example. I was talking about that guide I have. Um, I go through the different components. So we know that phytonutrients can certainly be beneficial, even if the dog is not digesting it, just its presence in uh, the the intestines uh, and its contact that it makes with uh, the gut barrier can be beneficial. You can't get that from a processed diet. So focus on the things that you can't get from the processed diet, which is going to be, for example, lean meat, high quality amino acids, which is also going to come with a bunch of other micronutrients, high quality, um, omega three and omega six fatty acids. So that would be eggs and, um, whole fish. If you do fish oil, just be careful. Cause you do have to make sure you add enough, um, vitamin E to, to support, uh, you know, because it increases the, the vitamin E requirements because of it's, uh, because it's prone to oxidation. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, so it's an oxidation issue, right? And that means guys, like you can't be leaving the fish oil open. The fish oil shouldn't be exposed to the sunlight, right? Because if not, it's losing its potency. Is that right? Yeah. And when, and when the dog, when, when the dog consumes, you know, any, so any, um, essential fatty acid, which are polyunsaturated fatty acids, the dog accumulates them in the cell membranes and the, it's important that the dog is getting enough, say, vitamin E. Because if so, if you increase the dog's polyunsaturated fat intake, you have to increase vitamin E because it can still oxidize in the body as well. So I'm not saying like don't feed fish or like don't feed essential fatty acids. They're obviously essential, but all of the nutrients are essential. So I would say high right. quality form of fat, high quality amino acid protein. Um, and if you choose to feed plant foods, um, you know, obviously taking, being mindful of dirty dozen lists, things like that. Um, those are really easy ways to dress up kibble. But I also want to mention, you can still do raw meaty bones. Those are best fed away from kibble because you don't want to have any mineral interactions, but you can also add bone broth to, to kibble as well. Nice. That's so good. Okay. So, so if they're eating kibble and they're feeding raw meaty bones, they should do those at separate times or they shouldn't do those together in general. Well, I mean, if it's, I guess it would be more, it depends on the frequency, right? So like if you're, if you're feeding like a whole raw meaty bone every day with your dog's kibble, I think as far as digestibility goes, it's better to separate those because raw meaty bones are very high in calcium and phosphorus and to a degree magnesium. Um, 
And so that those high levels, there's also going to be calcium and phosphorus in the kibble too. And those can interfere with micronutrients uh, such as zinc. So I think wow, it's okay. optimal to separate them if you can, but don't like let that dissuade you from feeding them at all. Like if you're just okay. going to do it like once a week or something, but if it's going to be like a daily thing, just be careful. Yeah, no, that's, that's so good to know. That's so good to know. And that's, I honestly didn't, you know, I, obviously I figured that like, there's a lot of stuff at play, but it's so good to hear you explain it like that, like the breakdown, right? Okay. So, so people can just like, you know, they can, they can bump up kibble. Okay. So, so how else can people feed fresh food? So then there's also, um, well, should I go into, to robbers cooked? Um, well, there's, there's homemade DIY and homemade okay. DIY, I think has pros and cons. So obviously like the downside is it's going to take more time, right? You're making the food, but a highly targeted DIY diet, I think beats out any commercial option, including, um, raw f- commercial foods, depending on what you have access to, because when I'm formulating DIY diets, I can I look at the dog and I can say, I can see like, oh, this dog does well with this much protein or this much fat or this much fiber. And, um, given, you know, they have a low energy intake. Um, but I can, I know I need to provide all the nutrients within their energy needs. Right. So homemade DIY is very powerful because you can control the sourcing, right? So if, you know, based on Ah. what you could afford, but sourcing is really important. You can control that. You can, um, control, macronutrient distribution, fat, carb, and protein, um, fiber. I know that carb is controversial, but certainly, uh, fat and protein and also can make sure that your dog is getting enough of all the essential nutrients, which can be very, very difficult for dogs who can't eat a lot of food, uh, without putting on weight. Yes. Right. And I think that that's such a good point you bring up is that like, you know, I think especially the, you know, the dogs who, obviously can't afford as many calories. So they're smaller in size. Like there's way less wiggle room, right. To make sure that you're meeting all of their nutritional needs. Yeah. I mean, even just like, look at my, my old man dog, um, a 10 year old (laughs) boxer, you know, versus maybe how many, how many calories he could eat when he was like two years old. Right. Um, Ah. and, and because he's older too, we have to look at increasing certain nutrients like the, the B vitamins, because there's just kind of a decline in, um, different functions in the body. And that would also include, um, B vitamin absorption as well. So you can control all of the, all of these things with a homemade DIY diet, which is why I, I am personally a fan, but obviously, um, commercial fresh food is, is going to be superior to then say, um, then say a kibble diet, unless there's, you know, the, the caveats of, you know, if the commercial food diet is like not balanced or it's missing an essential nutrients or it's way too high fat and that's making it cheap. So, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different, um, things right. to look out there for. Right. There's so many factors, ways to make it easier too. like some of the base mixes, like honest kitchen base mix, where you add fresh food, that's a really good way to get started as well. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think that, you know, I think there's just, there's so many options and I just want to empower people to like find one that will work for them. Yeah, no, there's definitely, especially, um, I mean, there's, options are just expanding every single day. I mean, it's just growing like crazy, which is great. The pet fit industry is crazy. Even, even in, (laughs) even in my, like where I live in Montana, I can go to um, the local, local grocery store and go to the freezer section and pull out Northwest Naturals, um, raw dog food, which I think is great. That is amazing at your grocery store. Yeah. At the, yeah, there's a, 
it's kind of a more like a type of a Whole Foods type store. Okay. Um, but okay. it's like a little, it's a local, it's still a local store, but still in, in this smaller town in uh, Montana. That is amazing. I love it. Okay. So let's wrap up. So give us your thoughts on like how we can best feed our dogs. Takeaways. So takeaways obviously is keeping in mind, doing the best that you can do given your situation. Um, and I think that's important mentally so that you're not beating yourself up, um, incorporating, making sure the foundation of the food is the best possible. And that's going to, um, key points here would be, um, not going cheaper so that you can dress it up with fresh foods, but going with something that's the highest quality kibble. If you're feeding kibble, um, or highest quality raw, if you're feeding raw, um, making sure that it's, uh, formulated obviously for your dog. So if you have a puppy versus an adult, um, make sure you like the ingredients, make sure this one's really, really, really important. Make sure if you're feeding a commercial food that your dog is able to eat within the feeding guidelines for your dog's goal weight, because if they're being fed below the feeding guidelines for your dog's goal weight, they're not getting, um, optimal levels of all the essential nutrients, including the amino acids, which is pretty important if you looked at, you know, some of, you know, the research that was being done for DCM, a lot of those dogs were not, were eating below, um, the eating guidelines. Um, but yeah, the foundation is feeding the best that you can afford, um, which starting ranging all the way from kibble with fresh food toppers, all the way up to, in my opinion, a homemade DIY diet that's, um, formulated for your dog using the, the best quality ingredients that you can source. Yeah. Okay. So Savannah, how can people connect with you guys? Because I really think you should reach out. She's such a fabulous resource and she can help you do this so that you know you're doing it the best. So how can people connect with you? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, So if you are a raw feeder that's DIY, then you would probably like a lot of my content on rawfedandnerdy.com and in the Facebook group, Raw Fed and Nerdy. Um, I'm so excited to join the group. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, do it, do it. Um, we just reached 15,000 members. I'm really excited. Um, but, I, but if you are like, Hey, just like do this for me, like formulate or help me do the best that I can do with my situation. Just do all the thinking and just tell me what to do. Um, then you can go to feedthydog.com. And of course, uh, I'm on Instagram as well at feed thy dog and raw and nerdy. So all of those contact boxes will, will go to me. So if you're DIY, raw, fed, and nerdy, if you want more hands-on help, I'm over at Feed Thy Dog. Amazing. And guys, I'll include links to all that in the show notes so you can really easily find her. Savannah, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been just so informative, and I'm just so excited to share this far and wide. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I, I really enjoyed these questions. These, these have been, I, I think, the most fun questions I've been asked so far. Yes, I love it. I love it. I know that CBD has kind of made a huge splash in the dog world. And, you know, with good reason, CBD can go a long way in aiding your pet's anxiety, physical pain. And, you know, while CBD is huge, there's also a lot of not so good CBD on the market. But the ladies over at VetCS have analyzed and tested all of their products to make sure that it's the highest quality and caliber for your pets. The ladies over at VetCS not only make CBD for dogs, but they also make cat and horse products too. If you'd like to learn more about CBD for your dog, you can check out VetCS.com and you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase.
Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com. Thank <laughs> you.